Yes, it's that time of year again. Of course, we love WKRP all year long, but especially now as we get closer to Thanksgiving and recall that incredibly funny episode. Did you know we have five different WKRP designs, including three different Turkey Drop-inspired ones? Simply go to CincyShirts.com and type WKRP into the search bar and have a look. Use the promo code at the end of this episode to save 20% on your entire order online or in-store. Now, on with the show. WKRP in Cincinnati. This is WCPO-FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 140. Today on our show, Bob Holtzman. Every time I went up to the campus, you know, I'd see somebody and it's like, it'd be somewhat starstruck, whether it's, you know, Dan Patrick or somebody, an ESPN employee, or whether it's a retired athlete, you know, from NFL Live or one of the baseball shows. And it's like, you kind of pinch yourself and it's like, wait, this is my job? You probably know Bob from his time at Channel 9 and or his work for ESPN. These days, he's the director of player promotion for the Major League Baseball Players Association. A San Diego native, he's lived in the tri-state for some time now. He sits down with us today to discuss broadcasting, working as an NFL beat reporter, visiting ESPN headquarters, his love of baseball, why the young people don't seem to be gravitating to the latter, and more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it by a PayPal or Venmo, of course. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code near the end of the interview for 20% off your order at Cincy Shirts or Old School Shirts. Now let's talk to Bob Holtzman. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. Uh, now, how long have you lived here? Oh, I've lived in the Cincinnati area for a long time. I moved here in 1996. 96. And I, nice. I, worked, at, I worked at Channel 9 before ESPN. Um, and then basically just stayed here the entire time. And you came here for school, or you got the I came job here at Channel for, 9? for the job at Channel Nine. Okay, worked there for four years, ninety six to two thousand. Then worked at ESPN for sixteen plus. And, now I want to uh, get back to local sports talk people or or, or reporters in a bit, uh, but I want I want to know more about you before you got here. So, like, where did you grow up? Where did you uh, Where did you go to school? Where did you come here from? You know, like I want to I want to know. Bob Holtzman. Is it <laughs> it's not that child? exciting. <laughs> no, the uh, I, I've I've been a, I've sort of a nomad. Um, lived in every time zone. I grew up out west. Grew up in Southern California. Went to school at Kansas, which uh, people will kind of scratch their heads when you grew up in San Diego and went to school at Kansas. What's up with that? Just kind of speaks to uh, you know. I, I've always wanted to experience different things in different places and. I've kind of bounced around um, in the TV news business prior to ESPN, um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Sacramento, California, uh, Cincinnati, ESPN, and now Major League Baseball players. 
So how did you pick Kansas? Of I mean, there's a lot of places you could go to experience non-San Diego life, right? So here's the story. I visited, I grew up in San Diego. Every season's the same. You play golf on Christmas Day, just like you would on the 4th of July. Um, I visited Kansas in the middle of October and the leaves were changing and basketball practice was just getting started and there was a nice football game on campus and I thought this is this is where I want to be and it wasn't uh, it wasn't any more complicated than that wow did they, did uh, journalism school like did they have a really good one is that was that a big factor and I know Missouri has a really good one right yeah we don't talk about Missouri <laughs> <laughs> no uh oh, yeah kansas does have a good journalism school that was part of it was certainly part of the of a factor when i went to school I, I wasn't certain that i wanted to do journalism um so it wasn't I, I won't i won't say i chose it because of that but that was certainly a factor knowing that they had a good school i kind of had an inclination that that may be where i wanted to head um so that was definitely a factor but just sort of the um campus feel and and the experience I was hoping to have during that time period in my life, it just felt like the right place. Did, what would you have, was there a backup plan if it wasn't journalism? Did you have another occupation in mind? I'm not big on backup plans. I, I, kinda, <laughs> I, I, my, I sort of my my life has sort of worked out that you sort of follow the the, the path where it, where it leads. Yeah. Um, I've never really tried to map it out or or plan it out. I'm a big planner. Um, just my personality, sort of type A, but I've never really sort of figured out like, okay, step A, step B, step C, here's here's the step-by-step process to where I want to go. I know some of my colleagues at ESPN, their their dream from when they were 12 years old was to was to work at ESPN. That was never my dream. Um I I I followed my dad was in TV news. I ended up following sort of his footsteps. He was behind the scenes. Um studied journalism, went into news, never set out to be a sports guy, a sports reporter, um, just sort of by luck, I guess, sort of fell into that. And uh, like I said, the best explanation is I, I just followed the path where it led me and, and, uh, and, and I wound up at ESPN and living in Cincinnati and the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand that. I do feel like... Um at least on my comedy and and I'd say the t-shirt side that there's a certain like romance of not having a backup plan of, of sort of forcing yourself to succeed in whatever it is you're doing because there is no backup plan. I I think, and I don't know if you would agree with this. I think it's, it's sometimes hard. Like, first of all, you may not want to give yourself a backup plan because then you almost give yourself permission to fail. But even on top of that, it's, it's, you know, I can't imagine when you were in high school, you said, my dream in life is, is to have a t-shirt company and, and, and do stand-up comedy. Maybe you did. I don't know. But I, I think sometimes the best route is just the unexpected route. And, and you know, that's, I guess, in a, in a nutshell, that's kind of my story. Yeah. Did you like sports growing up? Were you a loved sports it. fan? Yeah, I loved it. I was always a huge sports fan. I always, you know, it, it was, that was the thing I loved the most. I, I just never really thought um, that I wanted to combine my love of sports with my job. 
Um, you know, when I was a news reporter, I absolutely, in my downtime, my nights and weekends away from work, it, it always centered on sports. Um, that was kind of my hobby, was either playing or watching, being a fan, you know, knowing the stats, knowing the history. Um, so the transition into, into sports um, wasn't that hard, just because once you learn, I've told people before that, you know, they say, wow, how, what's it like going from news reporting to sports reporting? And my, my answer always is, is it's, it's basically the same thing. It's just as long as you show up prepared to cover whatever it is you're covering, whether it be a, a, a trial at the courthouse or, a, a, you know, game, whatever of the World Series, it's as long as you do your homework, it, it's, it's the same, it's the same skills. Yeah. That, yeah, I guess that would be true, but it probably makes it, does it make it more fun to report on something that you enjoy? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's two sides to look at, uh, two two ways to look at that. It's Or does it's, it make sports less fun if it's work? Maybe. Um, I hate to admit that because I've been so lucky to do the things I've done and, and attend some of the events I've, I've attended and travel, you know, most of the country and a lot of the world and, and, and have other people pay for it, which has been tremendous. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it does. I mean, it's, you know, it's sometimes seeing how the sausage gets made for lack of a better term is not yeah. always a great thing. You know, I'm sure you've had the same experience as you, as you get to know people, um, you know, behind the scenes, um, athletes, yeah. uh, handlers, agents, marketing people, PR people, Sometimes it's easier sort of not to know how that works. And yeah, it like a don't you, meet your heroes thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I've and I found myself, um, you know, in the 20 years since I started ESPN and then since I've moved over to working for the MLB players, you know, I find myself rooting against teams, I think more than rooting for <laughs> teams because I've either had – uh, you know, a situation with them I didn't like or yeah. with a player or um, with a PR person or, you know, whatever it may be that it's, you know, you end up, uh, it's kind of a negative way to look at the world. I hate, I no, hate admitting that. I get it, man. Like, but, uh, I, you know, you bite your tongue sometimes. I There's a couple of former Reds players that people love, like, like revere, you know, oh, they're so great. There's a fan favorite. And I'm like, yeah, if you only knew. You're right. You're right. You're right. right. He is. Exactly. He's a great guy. And yeah, there's absolutely. no benefit to 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 telling them the other side of the story because right. nobody needs to know that. There's no reason to burst somebody's bubble. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's that's that's you're right. That's that's the reality. <laughs> you mentioned handlers. Do you think sometimes they get in the way? Because when I do my other show and I interview comedians, there was uh, one comedian I interviewed, and the publicists were like, "It was Michelle Wolf, by the way, Josh, if you're curious." Uh, and they were like, and she, and you may know she was on the Daily Show for all as a correspondent. And the publicist was like, "For God's sake, don't talk about the Daily Show." And I'm like, "Why not? Did something happen?" Like, "No, no, no. She just she wants to talk about her comedy." I'm like, "No, okay." Well, she ended up bringing up the Daily Show, so we talked about it for about five minutes. And uh, my buddy Pat Francis pointed this out to me once because he interviews a lot of musicians. He's like, "A lot of times the handlers think they're doing the star or the celebrity a favor by telling you things, and the the person doesn't care." So a lot of times handlers get in the way. Do you find that's maybe sometimes the case where the handler is, you know, making things more difficult than they really need to be? Is there a number above 100 yeah, percent? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That yeah, they, it's crazy. They, that's part of the issue with, you know, and I'll group 
you know, PR people into that same category of handlers that they feel yeah. like they're protecting uh, the star, the, the the athlete, the you know whomever it is, and and oftentimes you're absolutely right, PF. The 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 star is more than happy to to have that conversation. I'll tell you a story, and this goes back oh, 10, 12 years probably, and I won't mention the team or the name, but it's covering a, a Sunday football game for ESPN, and <laughs> no, not going to do it because it's actually somebody who I really like. Um, okay. All right. So we're, you know, sometimes you'll see the arrival shots of the player walking into the stadium, you know, such and such arriving in, in this city for the big game today. And so I'm standing in the tunnel as, as some of the players are coming in that morning on Sunday morning with our photographer, just kind of pointing out to him, um, you know, hey, hey, this guy, he's the star running back. Let's shoot him, whatever. So I'm standing there and a, a very high profile player who I've dealt with a number of times before, who I'm pretty friendly with, comes up to me and says, hello. And I'm not, this is not a name dropping story because I'm not even going to mention his name. But the PR guy sees that and comes up afterwards and just lays into me and said, you know, you're not allowed to talk to players on the morning of a game. You know better than that. You've been doing this for years. And I said, look, I didn't talk to a player. He came up and said, hi, am I supposed to ignore him? But that goes, PF, to what you're saying, that it's like people think their job, public relations, by definition, is not protection of players. It, it's to help sort of connect players and media. And, 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 and often, more often, too often, they, they sort, of, sort of try and put up a wall. Yeah, that's a shame too, you know, because because sometimes, you know, if you don't, if you're not like you and have kind of the insight of knowing that that wasn't the player who said to do that, you would think that the player is a jerk and told the guy to tell you, don't let him talk to me or whatever, you know? Absolutely. And as you guys it, know, I mean, oftentimes when you're working through a third party, um, you'll make a request that it'll get denied. Um, and then somewhere down the road, you'll run into the player again and, and find out that they knew they didn't know yeah, anything yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's that's the frustration. Yeah, that is frustrating. Um, so when you get to Channel Nine, this is this is what I wanted to ask before, and I, and I may be just um, I don't I don't think bias is the right word from living here my whole life, but it seems like a lot of Cincinnati reporters or people in media move on from here to national platforms is that is that just by chance or is there something about this market that is that preps you to be in jobs like that because whether it's ESPN or you know I just feel like a lot of people who start here locally get bigger gigs when they leave here and I didn't know if that was a coincidence that's a great question um I think some of it you know, and you can, there's a long list of people, you're absolutely right, who have come through this market and gone on to network jobs in different capacities. I, I think some of it is a function of the business. Um, I, I've described it before as very similar to the minor leagues in baseball, the TV business, where you've kind of got single A, double A, triple A, major leagues. And, and the way to move up in television is to physically move to a different city. Um, just like a player in the minor leagues would do. Yes, you can get um, 
promoted within a, a TV newsroom. I mean, you look at somebody like Tanya O'Rourke, who I used to work with at Channel 9 in the late 90s, who was yeah. a reporter and has now become, you know, all these years later, the main anchor person at Channel 9. That does happen. But the easier thing to do is to sort of say, okay, Cincinnati is a medium to large television market. So that's, you know, kind of maybe AAA in, in, in baseball terms. Yeah. And when, you know, a lot of people, once they are ready to move on, um, are looking for a job in the quote unquote major leagues. And, and maybe that's a bigger market. Maybe that's a network um, job. Like I was lucky enough to get at ESPN. Um, but then you find all kinds of people too. I, I, I can't tell you how many people there are who come here thinking that's their path and then fall in love with the city and yeah. end up living their entire life here, meeting their spouse, having a family, um, and, and then never and then never want to go anywhere else. So it does work both ways. But you know, it's a great, it's a very perceptive question. There are a lot of people in markets like this, and it happens in 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 TV markets all over the country, um, especially smaller markets where you'll see people come and go every couple of years, and that's sort of just the nature of the business. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, again, I'm a I'm quite the homer growing up here, but you know, people always ask like, you know, why, why haven't you gone on to like LA or New York or why is Cincinnati your home? And I tell them, I'm like, it's just, it's the place that I want to be my permanent residence. I mean, the, my job affords me the opportunity to go to a beach or go to the mountains or go to a big city or go to Los, you know, whatever. But of all, of all those places, as cool as they are, they're like cool to me for four or five days at a time. But when it comes to like, permanent like this is this is where i want to be and it's it's gone even beyond just that like i have family or friends here it's just the the way of life the ease of getting around the the opportunities culturally whether that's sports or arts or entertainment you know they're on par with a lot of bigger cities it's just like i don't know like i'm such a homer but it's the perfect like to me it's just the perfect place to to reside and i do feel like a lot of people who move here for work or for school see that once they've been here because if you just say Cincinnati to someone who's never spent any time here they're like what are you talking about and then they get here and they're like man the food here is amazing like it's easy to get around you know it's relatively low crime there's a there's a history to the city that a lot of people don't realize I mean Cincinnati, it's famously talked about, could have easily been Chicago if they would have Absolutely. adapted to certain modes of transportation quicker than they did, you know. But in a way, I'm kind of glad it didn't because it just, I don't know, just geographically, it's a great place to get anywhere in the country. And I don't know. I'm a homer. I'll shut up. Man. No, you're not. <laughs> I, I don't. You're not a homer. I mean, I, I think everything you said is, is accurate. I, I love it here. I didn't know a ton about Cincinnati when I first moved here. And, uh, and I, and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a great place to be. And in fact, when I was at ESPN, a couple of times they wanted me to move. Um, in fact, I had a boss who, um, thought she was doing me a huge favor by offering me a chance to move to New York. And I I said, no, I'd rather stay here. And she just couldn't believe it. Well, like we're giving you this great opportunity to move to New York city it's like why why would I want to leave Cincinnati and move to New York? That just that well, sounded terrible. Well, Pete Townsend lived here for a yep. long time. He he left pretty recently, right? 
Was that right, PF? Was it Pete? Or uh, no, Pete it was uh, Peter uh, Frampton. Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton. Sorry. I was like, wow, Pete Townsend uh, lived here. What? what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Peter Frampton. Yeah, for ages. Uh, yeah. Um, but Tom Jackson, does he yep. still live here? He does. Merrill Hodge, does he yep. still live here? I mean, that's I know, yeah. like oh. Like, Chris like people would yeah. tell me that and I'd go, what? Like, I didn't know they ever had a tie to the city that let alone that they would live here right now. People, for whatever reason, I mean, you know, Chris Collinsworth obviously played here and then stayed. Yeah. Tom Jackson. Munoz, yeah. Right. I think Tom Jackson, I, I know he went to Louisville for college, obviously was a big star in, in, in Denver in the NFL. I believe maybe his wife's from here. But yeah, people, you, it's it's amazing how... It, you know, all the travels I've done and and obviously at ESPN, my colleagues were spread out across the country and I'd work with people all the time who would say, why do you live in Cincinnati? And then they'd come work here with me and see and see how cool it is. And and it's just it's one of those places that, you know, it, it's people don't know a lot about it. It's like if you go to the East Coast or the West Coast, people will say, well, like, where is Cincinnati? It's like, where is that by Cleveland or like, where? Yeah. I don't even know. They, never been there. Yeah. Um, and then when they come visit, it's like, wow, this is it's scenic. You're right. It's got great food. It's got all the big city stuff, but but doesn't feel like a big city. The um, topography is crazy. You absolutely. Know? We have like different neighborhoods. Hills and, yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I don't know. Did um, you grow up here? I did. Yeah. Born and raised on the Cincinnati side. And then uh, you know, got suckered across the river. Well, then, my wife's a West Sider, so I, uh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you're lucky <laughs> to not be on the West Side. I won't say lucky, but I, <laughs> nothing wrong with the but West I mean, Side. But I mean, the West Side, you know, we talk about it on the I podcast. Understand. It's, it's, it's like, I mean, you talk about people who grew up in Cincinnati and don't leave. These are people who grow up in their same house and don't leave. You know, 100%. they just build their house on the backyard of their where their parents live. Like, right. It's which it's, is something. Yeah, which is something. I mean, there's something kind of cool about that. Kind of, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Good tradition. Yeah, it is. Now, what do you think of the food here? Did you, have you become a, a fan of the chili? Or I have. I'll tell you when I moved here. Um, started at Channel Nine. I had a there was a photographer there who told me, "Man, have you have you had Skyline yet?" And I said, "No, you gotta try every day. You gotta try Skyline. You gotta for like three weeks." And, and and I was expecting, you know, the way he built this up, I was expecting this sort of gourmet meal. And, and I go for the first time, and it's like, <laughs> wait, it's it's hot dogs and chili. Like, what? Yeah. Are you serious? But man, yeah, it, it's grown on me. And you know, now I've got kids, and 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 they're fans of the chili, and you know, Montgomery Inn and, and Graders and, you know, the whole deal. Graders, yeah. Graders is the easiest sell to yes. anybody that you're trying to introduce to Cincinnati cuisine. That's the Well, easiest. it's, there's no ice cream better. I mean, it's, it's, you know, people, again, I've worked with and known a lot of people from a lot of different parts of the country and they will tell you, you can't find anything better than Graders. And, you know, I, I, I'll say though that, you know, if not for these Cincinnati staples, this entire city would probably be about, 10 to 12 pounds lighter, but when you've got oh, yeah. graders, you know, you've got graders, you've got skyline. What are you going to do? The You're roses. Right. Um, so let's talk about ESPN for a minute. Um, did, I assume you've spent a, a lot of time up there. I've been lucky enough to uh, go to that campus and do the tour a few times through friends of mine that have worked there. And I am just 
every time I'm there, it never gets old to me. I mean, like I said, I've only been there four times and I didn't have to go for work, but it's so like impressive to walk through there. And, you know, as a fan to know the history of it and who sat at the desks and, and, and memories like from commercials or, or sports moments and to see some of these personalities just sort of walking around the hallway together. But like the first time you went, was it kind of magical for you to see it, like to see the satellite farm and all that stuff? Yeah, it's a cool place. I mean, it's campus is the right word. That's what you called it. That's what they call it. I mean, that's what it feels like. It's just there's so many buildings and it and a lot of green space and it does feel like a campus. Um, yeah, the first time I went there was for my interview and it was pretty, pretty overwhelming Um you know, just pretty intimidating. I was 28, maybe something like that, you know, and here I am walking into this place and, you know, that I'd watched literally since I was a little kid and, you know, knowing, like you said, knowing the history of it and the people who have worked there. And, you know, I, I was there 16 plus years and, and never, you know, every time I went there, which was really not that often. I mean, I was there about once a year just for meetings or projects or stuff, but, it, it it was always kind of magical just because you realize all the magic that goes like, it's just, it's what they produce and how much television, how many hours of TV, how many different networks, how many different live broadcasts of games, sports centers, you know, radio, uh, digital stuff now. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty cool 16 year period of my life. I mean, it, it's, it's a, Good people, impressive place. Um, I'm just, you know, thankful for the experience. Yeah, I. Uh, so a friend of mine, I don't think I've told this on the podcast before, PF, but a buddy of mine, his name is Finesse Mitchell. He was on Saturday Night Live for three years, and um, when he was on SNL, he would get offers to do these gigs like all the time because he was one of the few guys on the show who had a background in stand-up almost everyone else came from sketch so if there was some type of stand-up gig or or mc thing that they would call him and so he calls me one day and he's like hey man do you want to do a gig at espn and i was like yeah what's going on and he said well there's a um there's like an amusement park across the street uh from from their campus and it's for their like company picnic and they're going to be doing a show called ESPN's Got Talent and it'll be like people who work there or their kids or something they're going to be like doing a talent show and they want me to MC it and they asked if I would bring a couple judges with me and so he asked me and our friend Kyle Grooms if we wanted to go be the judges And I was like, I was like, yeah, man, that sounds awesome, you know? And so I start getting in contact with the person who was in charge of the event. And she said, you know, if you want to come early, you can take a tour of, uh, of the facility. And I was like, absolutely hundred percent. Yes. And like, this is where I started to realize, cause I was, I was pretty young in comedy at the time, like young enough to not understand like what a really good gig is, you know, like what a really good corporate event is. And so, um, so she was like, well, can you send me your flight information and where you're flying out of? And I told her and she's like, okay, a car will be there to pick you up. And I was like, cool. You know, will they just have like a sign at baggage claim. She's like, no, no, no. I mean, we'll send a car to your house in Cincinnati 
to wow. drive you to the airport. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's a thing, you know? And I was like, this is going to be an amazing gig. So I land in um, Hartford and I rent a car and uh, there's a comedy club in Hartford that a friend of mine ran. It's in Manchester. And he's, I said, do you want to do this tour with me? And he was like, yeah. So we met in Bristol and we go to, I want to say it was like a Chili's or something there. And we're going to eat lunch before this tour. And I walk in and Lou Holtz is, is eating lunch right there. <laughs> and I'm like a diehard Notre Dame fan. Like you can see the, the uh, helmet right there. So I'm like flipping out. Cause I've been here five seconds and yep. here's Lou Holtz eating the Chili's. Right. <laughs> and then we go to the campus and the guy who gave us the tour, he was one of the original people at ESPN. I, I, I have to find his name and tell you later, but Bob Lay? His name's on like, what's that? Bob Lay? No, no, no. He wasn't a broadcaster. Oh, okay. He was like, like uh, one of the admin folks. And um, there's like this little plaque when you walk in the main desk that has like the original 16 names of people who started at ESPN. And he was one of them. Mm-hmm. And so he's the one who gave us the tour. And I was just like, it was like Disney World for me. Yep. walking around seeing this place you know and i learned so much like george grand was a reds broadcaster here right. for a long time i had no idea he was on the first ever sports yep center. yep yeah like co-anchored like, yeah that's yeah. Cr- like that was crazy to me you know and to walk down these hallways and it's like there's michael smith and there's you know jamel and it's just like i don't know man and then they, you know the cafeteria was amazing and and then we go do the event and it's they set this thing up like it was a TV show, even though no one was watching outside of the room. It was like a full on production and they wanted me to be the Simon Cow for the talent show. So I had to like I, I had to tell kids like they were terrible and they would never make it in nice. the entertainment business. But, man, it was just like a first class operation top to bottom. And like it it was never lost on me that like I did a gig like for ESPN. Yeah, no doubt. It's a first class place. And and I I feel you with your your Lou Holt story because there were every time I went up to the campus, you know, I'd see somebody and it's like it'd be somewhat starstruck, whether it's, you know, Dan Patrick or somebody, an ESPN employee, or whether it's a retired athlete, you know, from NFL Live or one of the baseball shows. And it's like you kind of pinch yourself and it's like, wait, you know, this is my job. Like, yeah. you know, I always tell people it's been when they ask about what I've done in my career, it's like it my answer is always, it's been better than having a real job. And that's a lot of times that's how it's felt. Like I'm, you know, I'm at these ballparks or, or, or stadiums or arenas that people are spending hundreds or thousands of dollars to, to attend. And like, I'm getting paid to be there. You gotta be kidding me. I know. It's so cool. The last time I went, they had finally opened like the building where the new sports center is, which I guess is like the most high tech building on their campus now. And they were like, Sports Center was on, and when we were on the tour, we were like, kind of in the in the background behind a, a piece of glass, you know. And like, I don't know if you've ever watched Sports Center for those that are listening, and, and you see them talking, and then they show like a wide shot of the studio, and you just see like random silhouettes in the background behind glass, like walking around working. Like, I was one of those people one day. It was like the coolest thing to go back and watch and be like, "There's my fat outline of me <laughs> taking a tour of the Sports Center set." It's crazy. That was started by a guy that wanted to broadcast high school football within Connecticut. 
And his buddy yeah. told him, hey, you know what? It would be cheaper just to send it all over the country by satellite. And he was like, oh, really? And they pulled up, got a bunch of broadcast trailers and pulled them into the whatever, I guess is the campus today. And yeah. off you go. And the rest yeah, is history. Crazy. It's amazing when you look at their story. I mean, yeah. to, you know, people, especially younger people, they see now, you know, all the big events, whether it be the, the NBA finals or the, you know, some of the baseball playoffs or Monday night football, you know, everything now is on ESPN. Like in, you know, as you're, you guys are talking about, like in the beginning stages, it was, you know, tape delayed Australian rules football. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, just whatever they could find. To the fill CFL. Time. That's how I became a yeah, CFL fan. Yeah. That, like that uh, the movie Dodgeball sort of like yep. lampooned them with the Ocho, the Ocho you know, like yeah. made fun of how ESPN would would air anything, you know, and they got to the point where they could take a joke about them and create it into an actual network that was based off of a joke. Like that's how big they are, that they could just yep. be like, yeah, we could do that, too. If we wanted. Yep. And there will never there will never be another ESPN. I mean, the way the media business is now as fragmented as things are now, it, it'd be, I believe it'd be impossible, number one, to take them on, and number two, to start anything that would ever grow to the size that they've become. Now, what was your favorite sport to cover when you were there? You covered a lot, right? I did. A um, lot of football, I know, but... I did, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I think my favorite sport to cover ha has always been baseball, Um when I got there, I covered quite a bit of baseball. And then, you know, football is the king. Obviously, NFL is the biggest thing there is in this country. And, you know, the, the top priority at ESPN. And, it, and over the years, I just sort of fell into a role as, a, as an NFL reporter um, and, and did that weekly for probably 10 years. Um, every Sunday, I was out somewhere reporting on some, on some game. You know, and, and as much as I enjoyed that, that was never my love. But you're never going to go to one of your bosses at ESPN and say, hey, I know ES, or I know NFL is the biggest property you have, but I'd really rather cover something smaller. <laughs> I mean, that's career suicide. So, um, you know, I did my best. Uh, and and I, I'd like to think I became a pretty good NFL reporter. Um, and I enjoyed it and, and obviously learned a lot, made a lot of contacts. But you know, my first love as a kid and, and even to this day working for the players in Major League Baseball has always, it's always been baseball. That's my, it's been my favorite sport. Yeah, that would be tough to, that would be tough to pick, but I feel I'm such a baseball fan. You don't have to, that's the good fan. thing. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, if you're at, if you're at an ESPN, like, do you feel like lucky when you get selected to cover NFL in, uh, you know, uh, like, are you worried that you're going to get assigned to, you know, like dirt track racing uh, weekly or something? I'll tell you, the, the, it's I always felt and I don't know that everybody would say this. I always felt that you're you're sort of made to feel lucky that you're covering the NFL. Um, they treat it like the most important thing they've got. At least they did. Um most of the time I was there. So it's almost like this, uh, this reward that, you know, you're now trusted enough or thought highly enough to cover the national football league. And, and, you know, with that said, you know, some of my most memorable, um, 
assignments were, were not NFL. I, I covered the Women's World Cup a couple of times yeah. all the way through yeah. from start to finish. Um, and that was that was incredible. I mean, in 2011 in Germany and then 2015 in Canada, every day for five weeks or so being with the U.S. women's national team. You know, that's not – it turned out to be pretty high profile because they ended up winning in, in 2015. Um, but that's not considered like at the same level as, as covering NFL. But that doesn't make it any less enjoyable. I mean, I, I love For that. For sure. You know, yeah. and some of the stuff earlier in my career, you know, it's like I'll be able to tell my great-grandchildren someday that I was at the Steve Bartman game, you know. Oh, wow. I, I was at the game the, the, the following year, 2004. I covered the Red Sox and Yankees when the Red Sox finally came back and got him and Kurt Schilling had the, the bloody sock and all, all that drama. You know, it's like there, there, there were some – there's stories that I'll tell – literally until the day I die, as long as I can remember them. But, uh, yeah. you know, story, the stories that I was lucky enough to, to be a part of um, that had nothing to do with football. So That's awesome. Yeah, it's been, it was oh, fun. Oh, man, that would have been so cool to be there for that. I'll tell you a story about the Bartman game. So it's game six. The Cubs are up three games to two. And obviously if they win that game, they go to the World Series for the first time in whatever it was at that point, 80, I or I'd have to do my math, but yeah. 60 years, almost 60 years, I think. It was 1945, if I remember right, and that was 2003. Um, so it's the eighth inning. They're up three three to nothing. Mark Pryor's pitching. I think they're five outs away. And we're, we're down with our camera crew sort of in down by the, the clubhouses in the tunnel because Mark we're getting Pryor ready. in the eighth inning tells you how long ago that it was. If he yeah, was exactly. pitching in the eighth inning. <laughs> exactly. So – He's on the mound. He's pitching great. He's got a shutout going. They're five outs away from advancing to the World Series for the first time in decades. We're down in the tunnels setting up with our camera crew because immediately when the last out's recorded, we'll be out on the field doing interviews. And we're standing outside the club's cl- clubs, Cubs clubhouse, and they're wheeling in the, 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 you know, the big ice-filled coolers of champagne. They're putting up all the... Um, you know, the, the tarps and things over the lockers to make sure everything doesn't get ruined because there's, there's about to be a big party. And then Bartman happens. And then all of a sudden they're behind. I, I think the Marlins scored eight runs or six runs in that inning. And next thing you know, game's over. And then all of a sudden we're still standing there. They're wheeling out all the champagne. They're taking down all the, all the, the tarps. Uh, all the plastic over the lockers because that's the last thing they want the players to see when they come in, when the game ends is, Oh crap, they were set up for a celebration and we just blew it. It was, it was the most surreal thing. And then to know that, you know, the next night they lost and it never happened. And then to see it kind of come full circle, what, 13 years later in 20, that guy had to leave the country and go into hiding yeah, yeah, you're right. With Bartman. Did you see that someone made a cardboard cut out of him at for at Wrigley for this year? Yeah, I thought that was great. I think you know, I <laughs> think so I think great. 2016 healed a lot for Cubs fans. Oh yeah. You know. Oy. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk about so, that. Yeah, but yeah, that's an Indians fan. Oh my god. Oh, sorry. Don't need uh, to bring it up. Uh, yeah, yeah, um the, And again, Indians will get it one be, of these days. Hopefully, one of these days. yeah, right. That's that's the that's the chant in Cleveland. One of these days, except for 2016. Um, but yeah, um, for the I most understand. part. Now, as a baseball fan, 
Um, and I'll hopefully use this to transition to the MLB PA stuff. But um, like I like baseball has always been my first love. I'm a football fan and basketball fan and stuff. But I've just always felt that there's something magical about baseball, whether it's like, you know, there's just things that happen in baseball that just seem too coincidental to not be fate. You know what I mean? And I know that sounds silly and it's hard to to probably talk about when you're a reporter and someone who, you know, deals in like facts and, and stuff like that. But, you know, whether it's, um, the Jose Fernandez night or, the um the pitcher from the angels that passed away that yep, that I game yep. mike lorenzen hitting a home run in his first game back after his father passed away like his only at bat of the whole year he hits a home run like stuff like that i feel like the 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 weird things with numbers like it just doesn't happen in any other sport besides baseball and i feel like that's why i love it so much is that there's just it seems like there are higher powers at play for certain things in baseball. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. Yeah. There's something magical about baseball and, and its history. Um, I, I would guess Josh, you probably grew up with a dad who was a baseball fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I think sometimes that's how it's, it's different. It's different than other sports. It's, it's passed on differently than being a football fan or a baseball or a basketball fan. Um, you know, Bob Gibson just died a week or two ago, and I got a text from my dad telling I didn't even remember this that he took me to see Bob Gibson pitch in his final year in the big leagues. I was three years old, and Bob Gibson gave up one unearned run and lost one to nothing. And he said, "You know, I just wanted I wanted to take you so that you yeah. so so that you could say someday you saw Bob Gibson pitch." Yeah. And and I don't know that that happens. Like, I don't know that people are doing that with, with Peyton Manning, you know, are you taking yeah. your kid so that 40 years from now he can say, I saw Peyton Manning play quarterback. I, I yeah. it's, I, I agree with you. My dad did that for Nolan Ryan. Uh, when he was pitching for the Astros, he's, he's told me the same thing. He, there's two memories that stand out that are of that same thread. There's, he wanted me to see Nolan Ryan pitch at riverfront stadium. And I'll never forget, uh, I was eight years old when Pete Rose came up to bat against Eric Chow, and my dad took me out of the bathtub, (laughs) put a robe on me, and sat me down in front of the TV because he wanted me to see Pete break the hit record. Yep. Never forget that, even though I was eight years old. No, that's one of those things that it's, it's, it's sort of a where were you when it happened moment, and those things happen, I think, more in baseball than in any other sport. And, you know, I, yeah, I mentioned the Red Sox-Yankee series I covered in 2004. There was a, a time period for about four or five years, starting in 2004, when I covered almost every Red Sox-Yankees game from like 04, 05, 06, 07. Um, and, and there's nothing like the that series just because – you, you see fans and you talk to fans and you, and you see the emotion and you know that here's this 21 year old kid in Boston whose great grandfather, you know, was the last person in their family to ever see the Red Sox win the World Series and how much it means that he finally got a chance to do that. And you saw it with the Cubs a few years ago. And I don't know that that exists in, in other sports. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it uh, uh, other than magic. I mean, you brought up the Jose Fernandez thing. 
And, you know, D. Gordon, I just watched, I don't know why, I just watched that replay a few weeks ago of D. Gordon leading off um, the bottom of the first inning, I think, in that game by hitting a home run. Yeah. And just losing First home it. run of the year. It long, the longest home run he's ever hit, ever. Yeah. Um, and then just losing it, rounding the bases. Like, that can't be just luck. There, it's, it's, it's just, there's something about this game that's hard to, it's hard to put your finger on. Yeah, for sure. So do you have to put those kind of things aside or do you embrace those as, as like someone who has to actually report on it? Like, do you. Yeah, it's, it's no, I don't think, I I think what I love about my role now is that I I don't really have to put those things aside. I I, I'm no longer, um, I don't consider myself a reporter anymore. Um, Basically what I'm doing for the players is, is I'm working as a storyteller I mean, my job is to help the baseball players get their stories told, um, help help baseball fans get to know who these guys are as people. So I'm no longer out at events doing live reports, um, dealing in day to day news. Um, yeah, obviously, facts facts will always be facts. I mean, we we want our stories to be accurate, but the stories we do are more human interest. It's more yeah. getting to know people. So some of that magic actually comes in handy. I mean, just being able to help. Exp- I mean, you know, I don't think it's any secret that baseball hasn't done such a great job of promoting its people. Um, you, you know, most casual fans don't know baseball players the way they know LeBron or Steph Curry or Tom Brady or guys in other sports. And so part of my job is to help you um, get to know who these guys are. And, and, and we're not dealing with, hey, how do you throw your curveball? You know, how do you hold your, your, your four-seam fastball? Um, we're dealing with where'd you come from? What kind of personal challenges did you overcome? What kind of passions do you have off the field? You know, sort of what makes you you? What makes you tick? And, and, and producing simple stories um, that you can find on, on social media um, I guess I'll give it a plug. The, the name is Infield Chatter, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if anybody wants to check it out. Just short, digestible, you know, minute and a half, two minute little feature stories that can help you appreciate who these guys are so that when you watch a game, you'll be able to say, hey, I saw this neat story about this guy and he, he came from this place or, you know, he grew up, you know, whatever. We just did a story um, about Jake Cronenworth who, second baseman for the Padres, who's probably going to be the rookie of the year this year, who, you know, nobody knows anything about this kid outside of San Diego. And it's just a fascinating story. He was pitching in AAA last year. He was a pitcher, um, you know, grew up, like kind of had some challenges. His, his, his mother died when he was four years old, had brain cancer, um, was kind of, you know, raised by his dad and his grandmother. And his grandmother passed away a couple years ago. And just talked about how much it would have meant to his mom and his grandmother to be able to see him succeed and make it to the big leagues. And, uh, you know, and, and his desire to possibly pitch again someday in the big leagues. I mean, just a story like that where, you know, if you're watching a game and, and he comes up to bat, you can say to your wife or to your buddy or, or, or to whomever you're sitting with, hey, I saw this story. Did you know this guy, yeah. you know, X, Y, and Z? And, and, it, and if, if you've got an X, Y, and Z, I've done my job. Yeah. That's, that's so great. Why do you think that that has been the case that, um, 
the younger the younger kids aren't taking to baseball the way that like we did. Do you think it's uh, do you think it's the length of the games? Do you think it's the lack of presence of the stars on social media? Do you think that it's how many games there are in a season that it's just you know I don't I don't know I just I I can't put my finger on it and I think that my passion for it has rubbed off on my Mike's son because he seems to be into it at his age the way that I was when I was his age but certainly if you look at like statistics and the numbers it doesn't seem that the rest of the country necessarily is is gravitating towards baseball like what do you think that that is the disconnect and what do you think might change it if you have an opinion I think there's a number of ways to answer that probably some too convoluted to get into I think I think that I think there are a number of factors I think one of it is the game is 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 kind of slow I mean that's sort of what makes it fun for people who love the game is the the intricacies of it the strategy of it and understanding you know what it means to move a runner over understanding what it means to be behind in the count you know, or ahead in the count or situational stuff or historical stuff, you know, and, and I'm going to sound like an old grumpy guy, but you know, it's like kids, especially now things move so fast, you know, social media and technology. And it's like, they're not going to sit and watch a slow moving three hour game and, and, and be into the, 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 the detail of everything that happens. So I think baseball, you know, definitely faces some challenges in terms of trying to get people re-engaged I think they're doing a better job, but you know, I, I again, I think it's a combination of factors. I think some of it is social media. I think I think players in other sports, especially the NBA, have done a better job of being engaged with people, um, being more accessible. There are a lot of baseball players that either aren't on social media or aren't very active on social media. Yes. Don't really want you know, and some of that is that they play every day and. It's just hard. It's tiring. Um, the last thing you want to do after you have a you know 10, 10 day, 10 game road trip is sit there and, and engage with people answering questions or or dealing with comments on, on, on Twitter or whatever. Um, so it, it's a combination of things. Um, you know, but if you look at it, the people that are doing it well, I feel like they're providing a template for the other ones of why they should do it. Like the the Trevor Bowers and the um, Justin Turner's Derek Dietrich is like a prime example of somebody who I feel like just gets the importance of it. You know, the guy was here for one season as a backup second baseman and became a fan favorite because of things like that. You know, he has, he had a very memorable first couple months of the season on the field, but his social media was pretty awesome before that. And it continued to grow from it you know what i mean and trevor bauer i mean like everybody should just take a page out of his book for for how to i mean in my opinion as a well, fan yeah i mean th- th- i guess i guess what i would say is that's that's not everybody's personality i mean trevor yeah. bauer is, is one of a kind um but i would put i would put amir garrett into that same category yes I, you know scooter yeah. Jeanette. i mean guys who became um became more of a fan favorite because they were engaged and because they seemed accessible and because they would interact with people on social media, you know, people don't, you know, with the exception of maybe getting an autograph, um, you know, before a game. And, and, and when you're doing that, there's no interaction. It's just, it's so fast and you're surrounded by a group of other people 
all screaming and yelling for an autograph. Like, mostly grown adults. Yeah, mostly grown adults. That's that's very true. Um, that's a whole other story. But the you know social media is really the only place where you can interact one on one as a fan with a player. And you know, oftentimes, I, I would say too often that becomes um, negative. You know, it's it's somebody being critical of a player and, and either a player firing back or not wanting to engage. You know, and that's a shame. But I, I do think there's an opportunity with social media, and, and I think that's part of what excited me about this role is that, you know, I was never a big social media guy at ESPN. Um, still not a big social media guy. I don't particularly like it. But social media is our medium. Um, the stories we do, that's where they live for the most part is on social media. So I've understood better the, uh, the value of it. And I, I've seen that sometimes you can produce stories uh, that, that are distributed through social media that will actually be seen by more people than television, which, which is mind, mind-boggling for somebody who spent as long in TV as I did. Would have never thought that was the case. Um, yeah. So there's value there, and it's just a matter of trying to figure out how to do it responsibly, you know, how to get players to want to engage, to feel engaged, to, you know, to to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to create a following. You know, we could have a whole conversation about Trevor Bauer. Um, we could probably do an hour just, just about Trevor Bauer. But, you know, I, I you know, you, you can you can you can love it or hate it what he does. I mean, I think what he does has been a template for other guys, though. I should um, I want to I want to like sort of uh, qualify that as like not I don't necessarily mean his personality. I just meant the the value of the production that he has and the embracing himself as a brand. You know, no doubt, not he necessarily like his outspokenness, but just you see the 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 quality of the content is what yeah, he, I'm more speaking to than, right. than what he's saying or how I understood. Saying. Yeah. He and his team work hard to give people sort of the inside look at, at, at a day in the life or, 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 you know, the life of a, of a big league ball player. So in that regard, I think it's, it's definitely a positive to, to let people see because people are always curious. You know, one of the questions I got most often when I was at ESPN was, you know, What's this ballpark like or what's this player like? People always want to know what it's like sort of quote unquote inside. And I think Bauer gives people, um, you know, he does a, a really good job of, of giving people a feel for that. Yeah. Has there been a story that particularly touched you or surprised you based off of the player that maybe changed the misconception you had about them or, or you know, um, they showed a, a side of their personality that, that you hadn't seen because you got them talking about something they liked. I got to do these videos for the Cincinnati Inquirer where um, Jeff Weiler would let us borrow like a crazy car, like a like a 67 Cadillac in pristine condition or something. And I would pick up a Reds player and just, it was kind of like comedians and cars getting coffee, but I did three episodes with Reds players and, one of the people we got to do it was Devin Mazzaracco and everybody was just like, well, good luck. He doesn't, he doesn't right. say two words. And then you get to talk to him for a little bit and you start to find out that he loves pizza so much that he built like a brick oven in his house so that he could have pizza, you know? Uh, I don't know. Is there, has there been somebody that like really opened up to you that maybe had been quiet before or, or that really was a pleasant surprise? 
Yeah, I mean, there have been a, a number of guys, and and there's nothing more gratifying for me than when you see comments um, after we post a story from people saying, you know, man, I used to hate this guy, and now I love him. Like that's that's the essence of why I do what I do. Um, this past summer, we did a story with Mike Trout, and you know, Mike Trout obviously is pretty closed. I mean, he he doesn't really he's he's pretty choreographed, um, very careful. I mean, his his hero is Derek Jeter, which will tell you kind of how he models himself, just doesn't really want people to be let in too much, doesn't really feel the need to open up too much. But he, um, he and his wife, for the first time this past summer, did an interview with us about losing her brother, his brother-in-law, to suicide two years ago. And it was the first time they'd talked about it. And they just this summer started a campaign to raise awareness for suicide prevention. And it was it was an entirely different side of Mike Trout than people had ever seen. And, you know, that was a story that, you know, oftentimes you're scared to read the comments because people just anything they can nitpick or anything negative they can pick out. You know, you can do the most positive story ever about somebody and somebody will still find something. But the comments after we posted the Mike Trout story were, were just made me feel good because people, I think, realize that, you know, this guy's human and that just because you're Mike Trout and do what you do on the field and make what you make doesn't mean that you don't go through terrible loss yeah. and, and, and struggle with that. And um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that would be the first one that comes to mind. But, you know, like you talked about with Mezzarocco, it's been – it's been eye-opening just to see what guys are like off the field. We actually did a story with Mezzarocco a couple of years ago. I don't know if you know this story. He, he cut down some trees on his property in Pennsylvania and had Marucci, the bat company, take yeah. the trees and turn them into bats that he actually yeah, used in games. Some, some real wonder boys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, how cool is that? And it's, it's amazing. Like, yeah, and it's like, you know, even something small. I mean, obviously, that's not nearly as heavy as, as Mike Trout. But even something small like that, it just makes just makes players human. Yeah, yeah, it humanizes them exactly. Yeah, man, that's so that's so fun. Gosh, so I could I could just talk to you about so many things all day, and I um I want to thank you for your time with us today. But how how can uh, I know you plug the infield chatter? Um, people can follow you. Uh, where where do you? post if people want to just see what bob holtzman's up to they can they can follow me they'll be pretty bored i'm a <laughs> middle-aged uh, father of three who uh who doesn't do a whole lot that's that exciting but if you want to follow me i think i'm yeah you, you feel me. it's this guy yeah. i think I, I think i'm at bob underscore holtzman maybe i don't even know that um but if you want to see the stories i i, I that's that's a lot more exciting than following me um, at infield chatter is the is the handle Twitter Facebook Instagram um, we post generally post about two new stories a week um, so it just helps you get to know the players and uh, like I said easy simple to understand um, we did a story I, I, I'll leave you with this I guess is just because this one was was kind of fun F- fun's the wrong word but but moving and and meaningful. Jesus Lazardo, who's a 22-year-old rookie pitcher for the A's, who um, just started the other day. So he went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, where the shooting, the school shooting was a couple of years ago, where 17 students got killed. 
he wasn't there at the time. He had graduated two years before, but a kid he knew from Parkland um, died and his father, the kid's father started a, a nonprofit called Change the Ref to try and empower young people, you know, anti-gun violence group, um, try and push, you know, Congress to make changes, that kind of stuff. One of the things they did this year was um, his son was a huge baseball fan and he and dad had taken some trips cross country, you know, a couple of years ago to visit different ballparks. In fact, they came here to Cincinnati to see the Reds and their, their, their dream was to get to all 30 ballparks. Obviously never happened. So this summer when his dad heard about the teams putting the cutouts in all the ballparks, the nonprofit arranged um, to buy cutouts of his son and put them in all the ballparks that his son never had a chance to go to. And a couple of teams heard about it and donated um, the cutout and his son's cutout ended up in 15 ballparks and, and it's hard to even talk about it. It's just emotional. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the ballparks was Oakland and Jesus Lazardo, who wasn't close with the kid, but you know, knew him from high school went and, and took a selfie with the cutout and sent it to his dad and, um, you know, so we did a story about about Lazardo and about what it meant, you know, to take that picture and to have this kid, Joaquin Oliver, um, wow. there watching um, and, and, and talk to his dad about what it meant to, to, to be able to do this and have his son, you know, quote, I hate to use this, but quote unquote, finish his tour yeah. and be able to see the other ballparks. It's just... You know, it's Man. it's stuff like that that has it's it's off the field. It has nothing to do with with Jesus Lazardo as a, as a great pitcher, which he is. But yeah, it's just people. And so check Man, it out. I'm glad we're not doing video right now because <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that would be my hang up. Like doing what you do and seeing some of the stories that you post. Like I don't know what has happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's if it was losing my dad or having kids of my own. But I like. For, for being someone who gets paid to make people laugh, like I cry on the drop yep. of a hat. Like it is great. Like it is embarrassing, like legitimately embarrassing. Like I don't know that I could do those stories week in and week out and not like legitimately be affected by it trying to do my job. Yeah. And sometimes I am. It's, you know, you get, you get attached to a player or to a story and that's okay. That makes that, you yeah. know, it makes me human, but you know, one one thing I like about the stories is they're all they're all good news. They're all positive. Yeah. And yeah. you know, so much of social media, especially these days, is yes, is just is just people being mean to people. And you know, if you're looking for something to cheer you up, I guess, or or just to to feel good about people and life, you know, check out Infield Chatter because that's that's sort of all we try and do is just that's leave awesome. you feeling good. Well, I hope that uh, that we are fortunate enough to get to work with you on one of your stories here soon. We we obviously uh, don't have anything concrete yet, but you've been awesome to us to, to try to get something done. And I know that your time is valuable and I appreciate it today. So the last thing I need from you yes, on sir. every episode, we ask our guest to give us a word that people will then use as a coupon to save 20 percent until the next episode comes out. So you like can it. pick any word that you want, and then that'll be our coupon for the next week. Ooh, on the spot. That's right. Um, how about how about how about positivity? I love it, man. Does it work. I love and, it. Like I said, that's sort of our goal with the stories is is to promote positivity. And uh, 
I think we could all use some more of that right now. 100%, man. All right. So uh, those of you who are listening, you can save 20% on your order online at cincyshirts.com. Or you can stop into either one of our stores, Hyde Park or Over the Rhine. We got awesome new stuff in, especially coming up for this holiday season. Some really cool items coming out. Um, so just say the word positivity or type it in when you check out and it'll save you some money. Uh, be sure to follow Bob on social media and uh, infield chatter. And uh, and I think that's it. PF, you got anything else, buddy? No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I had some football stuff, but we'll save that for another time. I know Bob's got to run, and it's you don't, kind of you don't want to talk. The, you don't want to talk Indians? Uh, no, not not anymore. Not not till next spring. <laughs> hey, um, do we have do we have thirty seconds? Sure. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. We got as much. I'll, oh, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you a quick Indian story. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. A few weeks ago, so Tristan McKenzie, who's their rookie stud pitcher, just came up. Yeah. In September. So he and Nolan Jones, now you may not know the, the name Nolan Jones, but he's the Indians' number one prospect. He's a third baseman. Um, probably will be up next year. He's close. So those two guys are best friends, became best friends rehabbing this offseason in Arizona when they were both hurt. Um, they were both at the alternate training site um, during you know this summer. And then Tristan McKenzie got called up, and Nolan Jones didn't want to miss it, but wasn't allowed in the ballpark. So he found this spot up on top of a parking garage out beyond oh, yeah. the left field bleachers in yep. Cleveland and was up. It's, it's the most incredible thing. Um, and we did this story in September. He was up on top of this parking garage, 500 feet away, watching his buddy make his major league debut um, in downtown Cleveland because he just said, I, I had to be there, but I wasn't allowed in the ballpark because of the COVID restrictions. So he went up on this, I think, the sixth floor of this parking garage, and we just did a story about the about the bromance, about these two buddies who, um, you know, kind of became friends in the in in the minor league system and and That's working awesome. out together. That's and, so cool. And what it meant so, to each other to kind of be there. I'm going to hijack this and piggyback onto it. Give us uh, give us your your inside take on. Uh, on the the Reds and how our season started and how it ended and any players that uh that maybe people can get excited about. Do you have any do you have any any type of Reds feedback or positivity? <laughs> <laughs> well I don't I don't I don't if you want positivity, I don't think you want to start about talking about how it started or ended because it didn't start yeah. very well and it certainly didn't end very well. Oh, um, in the middle, especially the last couple weeks of September were a lot of fun. I, 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 you know, I'm curious to see how they handle their budget. Um, you know, obviously they, they spent pretty big this off season and, and there's a lot about them to like. Um, we'll see what they do with Bauer, who I know, you know, is a year to year by design guy. He always wants to be a free agent, but no, I, 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 you know, I've always been a fan of Castellanos. I, I, I'm a fan of Moustakis. Um, I think with some of the young guys they've got coming, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons to be positive about the Reds. I, it's just this was such a strange year um, for so many different reasons that I think it's hard to read to read too much into it. And you know, a two out of three playoff series, yeah, you know, it's 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 hard. But I think people should feel good about. I mean, honestly, for the first time in years in this city, you know, seems like football and baseball are headed the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> Don't jinx it, Bob. I hope. 
Don't jinx it. All right, man. Hey, appreciate the time. Thank you very much. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. It's great yep. talking to you guys. All right, thanks, Bob. See you guys. Yes, Holtzman, fun stuff, eh? Uh, especially the talk about the ESPN campus, because I've never been. And uh, Josh and Bob, of course, uh, had some fun stories to tell about that. And uh, why aren't people liking the baseball? It's weird. As I get older, I think I like baseball more and football less. It's kind of strange. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, uh, or someone you'd like to have back on the podcast, email us, podcast at cincyshirts.com, put podcast guest in the subject line, and then give us the details. So be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out those Cincy Shirts podcast archives. 139 episodes back there now. Everyone from Johnny Bench to actress Amy Yazbeck. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage cheese from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, and tons more. We've got like, I don't know, 30, 40 cities in there now uh, at oldschoolshirts.com. And so it's, you know, defunct teams like, you know, we have for Cincy Shirts, uh, old shopping centers, restaurants, clubs, you name it. Uh, Again, like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is positive. Positivity. Simple as that. All lowercase, all uppercase, that part doesn't matter. You're going to use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. How about that? Or you can come into our physical stores in Cincinnati over the Ryan and Hyde Park and just tell your nearest sales associate, I'd like to use the podcast code for this week, Positivity, and they'll take 20% off your order. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye